listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Um, so as we continue the service today, I'd like to transition us into our time of scripture reading. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Um, we'll be reading again from the uh, parable of the prodigal son as our series concludes today on that. And uh, just as a reminder, or if this is your first time with us at Story City, at the end of the scripture reading, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord and you're invited to respond. Thanks be to God. So uh, reading Luke 15. 11 through 32. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put, on a, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he, as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So the father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Stephen. All right, good morning, Story City fam. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan. I have the privilege of being a part of the leadership team here at Story City Church. Um, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like the year has gone by so quickly in the blink of an eye. Um, we're coming into the holiday season. It's crazy. Um, you might already know this, but this season can be extremely busy, right? And if not careful, uh, this season can become very self-serving and very self-centered. And so before I get into my message, I just want to give you an encouragement. I want to encourage us over this holiday season uh, to be thinking of ways to, to show the tangible love of Jesus Christ. 
You know, we, we need to be able to show uh, Jesus Christ to the people who are around us. And this season, through acts of kindness, love, and gratitude, we can really show the people in our sphere of life the true teachings of Jesus and the gospel. So I want to encourage us, let us be thinking of creative ways that we can care for our friends, our, our family members, our neighbors, and our communities. We, as apprentices of Jesus, can be missionaries right where we work, live, eat, and play. Let us be hospitable and sacrificial. Let us uh, throw good parties, okay? Let us celebrate. Let us be like Jesus. And so I just want to kind of put that into the forefront of your mind as we come into this holiday season. Man, let us be like Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into our message for today. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for the opportunity to have your word. God, we thank you that we can learn about who you are, and we can learn about your heart. And Father, we thank you over these past uh, four weeks, God, how you've taught us uh, what it means to be uh, a younger brother or an elder brother, and what sin is, and what lostness means. And God, I pray today that as we culminate this sermon series, uh, God, that you would push us to a response, God, that we would come to you in uh, asking for forgiveness and repentance and that we see how you accept us and you forgive us. And God, I pray that you would uh, move through this message, Father, help us, Lord. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen. So over the last four weeks, we've been going through a sermon series entitled The Father's Heart. It's a sermon series based off of Timothy Keller's book, Prodigal God. And this sermon series has been a deep dive into Jesus' parable of the two lost sons. According to Luke 15, uh, we learn that Jesus' message and his relational style of discipleship was attracting crowds of people who in that day would have been seen as immoral outsiders, right? Tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, sinners. These were people who had, been dis, uh, who had disregarded the moral law of Judaism. They weren't, pure, they weren't uh, clean or pure. Yet we see Jesus accepting these people. Jesus' action puzzled and angered uh, the moral and religious scribes and Pharisees. And Luke 15 records their complaint. In verse number one, it says, this man, talking about the Pharisees and, and the scribes, they're saying this about Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The pride and self-righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes could not understand why Jesus would accept and befriend these immoral traitors. So, in response, Jesus tells this parable. And he, redefi he redefines what sin is and what it means to be spiritually disconnected from God. The parable depicts the younger son as the irreligious or as the rule breaker and the older son as the rule keeper or the religious of Jesus' day. But the, par the parable is not what you would expect. Right? It wasn't uh, for the audience you would expect it to be for. The parable of the two sons takes an extended look at the soul of the elder brother. And it climaxes with a powerful plea for him to change his heart. 
Keller puts it this way, Jesus' purpose for this parable is not to warm our hearts, but to shatter our categories. Through this parable, Jesus challenges what nearly everyone has ever thought about God, sin, and salvation. His story reveals the destructive self-centeredness of the younger brother, but it also condemns the elder brother's moralistic life in the strongest of terms. Jesus is saying both the irreligious and the religious are spiritually disconnected from God and that both life paths are dead ends. And that every thought the human race has had about how to connect to God has been wrong. So throughout this series, we have learned that all of us lean towards being an elder brother or a younger brother. And last week we learned about the true elder brother and that we learned that we will never stop being younger brothers or elder brothers until we acknowledge our need, right? And we rest by faith and then gaze in the wonder at the work of the true elder brother, Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ, who, who, who had all the power in the world, saw us enslaved by the very things that we, saw, we thought would free us. So he emptied himself of his glory and became a servant, Philippians 2 says. And he laid aside the infinities and immensities of his being at the cost of his life, paid the debt for our sins, purchasing us the only place our hearts can rest in his father's house. We cannot achieve right standing before the father on our own. We must, we are dependent on the work of the true elder brother, the work of Christ. So we are completing this series today with learning what the finished work of Jesus accomplishes for us which leads to our big idea for today, and it's this. Because of the true elder brother, Jesus Christ, we can return home and partake in the feast. Because of the true elder brother, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can return home and partake in the feast. Look at Luke uh, chapter 15, verses 11 through 13. Jesus continued with this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. You see, in Jesus' parable, the younger son, the younger brother, is dissatisfied with his current living situation, right? He's alert at the thought of leaving home, right? Making his own way, becoming his own person. So he leaves to a different country expecting that those uh, needs and wants and desires are gonna be fulfilled. But what happens is he only finds disappointment. He squanders all his wealth. He loses everything he has. And then he's forced to live the life of a vagabond, 
And while rummaging through uh, food for pigs in a pig pen, right, he comes to his senses. He begins to long for something. He begins to long for his home, right? He remembers the food in his father's house. He says, man, I want to go back. I want to go home. I know my dad's not going to accept me, but I can become like one of his hired workers. Uh, the, the, he treats his servants better than how I'm living right now. And that, 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 that nostalgia and that desire, that longing starts to burn inside of it. He says, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go home. And all of us have experienced this longing for home. Home exercises a powerful influence over human life. If you guys don't know this, um, I was born in Eva Beach, Hawaii. It is a small sugarcane plantation field area on the southwest side on the island of Oahu. And um, man, growing up as a kid, I remember Hawaii was so pristine. Like, it's just, I have all these great memories of going to the beach and uh, camping every summer and, and uh, just, you know, being with my family, going to all the little mom and pop shops, restaurants, and eating with my grandfather and just going to all these different places. And I remember the true hospitality, the spirit of aloha of Hawaii. And man, I just have all these super fond memories of it. And when I went back this year, I went back in, I think, July, or no, excuse me, August. I went back to Hawaii. And I just noticed that it's not the Hawaii that I grew up in, right? Because of COVID, all the mom and pop shops closed down, shuttered their doors. Right, the, the beaches, because of the, the rising use of drugs and the rising homelessness rate, the beaches are overrun by homeless now. Right, the multi-million dollar uh, condos going every, up everywhere you look, right? And it's not for the people of Hawaii, it's for international people that can afford it. And literally, everything that I think about with that, that, that spirit of aloha and that spirit of hospitality has changed. You can feel that the spirit is different, right? That there's a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of exhaustion, right? A spirit of just uh, frustration. You can see it in the people. It's no longer home. And probably, too, when you think of the nostalgia of your upbringing, you, you take yourself back to a place of maybe uh, happy thoughts, and you try to recreate them, or you try to go to that vacation spot, or you try to do this, and then as you go and you see, it's, oh, it's different, right? You're, you're searching for something that is elusive. Home, then, is a powerful but elusive concept. The strong feelings that surround it reveal some deep longing within us for a place that absolutely fits us, makes us comfortable, suits us, where we can let our hair down, where we can find and be our true selves, where we can take off our mask and rest. Home is a place of rest. But you probably can agree with this, that no place or family ever completely satisfy these longings. Yet, so many situations arouse them, right? C.S. Lewis put it this way, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. 
there seems to be this sense that in which we are all like the younger brother. We are all longing to be home. We are all exiles. We are always traveling, never arriving. The houses and families we actually inhabit are only inns along the way, but they aren't home. Home continues to evade us. We can't satisfy it. So why? Why do we have this longing for home in us? Why can we never seem to fully satisfy that desire? The experience that we have been describing is the trace in our souls of a larger story. The meta-narrative of scripture, you see in the book of Genesis, right, when God created humanity, we learn that why all people feel like exiles. We learn why all people feel like we aren't really home. You see, humans were created to live in the garden of God, to be in the very presence of God, to, to enjoy him, and they were commanded to tend that garden and to have dominion over creation. They were appointed as sort of this under-ruler of his creation. And God's intent for us was no parting, no disease, no decay. It was perfect because our life was in the very presence of God himself. There there we were to adore and serve him, his infinite majesty, and to know, enjoy, and reflect him and his infinite beauty. That was our original home. The true country that we were made for. You see, however, the Bible teaches, just like the younger brother, uh, humanity, right? We rebelled under the father. We, we chafed under his authority. We wanted to live without God, telling him, we don't want your interference. We turned away. And the result was our alienation from the father. And like the younger brother, we left our home for something that we thought would satisfy us. We became exiles. Today, we long for bodies that are, are, that are healthy and that never die. We want to reverse aging. We don't want to handle disease. We, we don't want death. We long for love that never ends. We want our relationships to be healthy. We, we want our relationships to flourish. But all of our, all of our relationships are, are subject to the ticking of time. We lose all of them eventually, right? Our best relationships will end. Either they will die and leave us, or we will die and leave them. We long to make an impact, a difference in the world through our work, yet we expect endless frustration. We never really fully realize our hopes and dreams. We may work hard to recreate that home, right? That, that, That perfection. But the Bible says that it only exists in the presence of God. And it's the story of, of uh, it's the meta narrative of all the Bible, right? Story after story in the Old Testament contains that pattern of exile. And this is no coincidence. Think about it. We, we, we talk about Adam, but his son Cain, he wandered his whole life because he killed his brother Abel. Later in Scripture, we learn about Jacob who cheated his brother, right, and had to go to a far country because he was afraid of being killed. We think about Joseph who, because of famine, took his family down to Egypt, right? Later 
later, Moses took the, the Israelites back to Israel, right? But ultimately, again, that was just to be uh, disbanded and put into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. I think of people like David who lived their whole lives, or not their whole lives, but lived as fugitives and running in exile. Again, story after story contains this pattern of exile, and it's not a coincidence. It's because the message of the Bible is that the human race is a band of exiles trying to come home. The parable of the prodigal son is about every single one of us. So that leads to our our first observation for today, and it's this. We can return home. This parable shows us that we can return home. Because of the finished work of Jesus, because of the true elder brother, that we can return home. And some of us are thinking, man, you don't know what I've done, Jonathan. You don't don't know how I've lived my life. You don't know how I've squandered my wealth with foolish living, with wild living. But guess what? When that son made made up his mind, said, you know what, I'm gonna return to the father. The father saw him from afar off and he welcomed him. He ran out to him. He put the robe on him. He put the ring on him. He killed the fatted calf for him. He was accepted by the father. And that apology that he had made, he's like, I'm gonna go apologize to my dad. His dad didn't even let him apologize. See, the right standing wasn't made by the younger brother apologizing to the son. No, he was already accepted. The father had already made up his mind that he loved him unconditionally. And no matter what, he would bring him home. We can go home. Romans 5 says, you see, at just the right time, I love this verse, when we were still powerless, there's nothing we could do, Christ died for the ungodly. The elder brother died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were exiles, while we were afar off, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Guess what, church? You're reconciled. That word reconciled means to restore to friendship or harmony. That division that the younger brother and the father had because of the younger brother's mistakes and his decisions, right? That division that was there, the Bible says that it was reconciled, that it was restored, that they were brought back to harmony. And the same way with us as a human race, as exiles, God says, hey, guess what, uh, humans? You can be reconciled to the Father. You can come home. That longing, that desire that you feel in the bottom of the pit of your stomach and heart, guess what? It can be filled. Come home. I'll give you rest. My my burden is, is light. And it's not through anything we do. 
It's not through our good decisions. It's not through our works. It's simply because the Father accepts us and because the true elder brother did the work that we can come home. Jesus came and experienced the exile that we deserved. He was expelled from the presence of the Father. He was thrust into darkness, the uttermost despair of spiritual alienation. And he did that in our place. He took upon himself the full curse of human rebellion, cosmic homelessness, so that we could be welcomed into our true home. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the work. You see, Jesus not only died, but rose from the grave on the third day. He broke the power of death. Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And because Jesus paid that penalty for our wrongdoings with his death, he has achieved victory over the forces of death, over the forces of decay, over the forces of disease, over the forces of disorder, and that, that, that he is now going to bring the world to its true home. He's going to restore it. Isaiah 35 says, your God will come. Jesus will come. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout out for joy. The ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter into Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. At the end of the parable, there is a feast of the, of the brother's homecoming. Look at Luke 15, 25 through 32. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near, the, near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them, hey, what's going on? And they said, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never, and, and, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his, this brother of, brother of yours was dead and, alive, and is alive again. He was lost and is not found. The elder brother doesn't want to enter into the feast. We learned a few weeks ago that the elder brother was in sin as much as the younger brother was in sin. It's because he didn't love the father because he just loved the father. He loved the father because of what the father could give him. And now we're seeing the true rebellion of his, of his heart come out, right? The same way the younger brother rebelled and went to a far country, this older brother is rebelling in his heart because the only reason why he's following the rules, the only reason why he's doing the things that the father asked him to do is because he wants the father's inheritance. And now we're seeing his true heart 
The father is pleading with him, son, I love you. Son, everything is yours. Please, son, come into the feast. And the older brother says, no, I don't want that. This leads to our last observation today. Not only can we come home, but we can partake in the feast. Jesus' call, the Father's call to come into the feast has not stopped. He's still pleading for us today uh, to come into the feast with him. At the end of history, there will be a feast. There will be a feast. Revelation chapter 19 describes this feast. The, whole, the, whole, the, the first half of the passage describes what this feast will look like. I wanted to read it just from scripture. I love, I love the, the titles. Have you ever seen like those titles before the verses, right? The one in my Bible says, celebration in heaven, right? Like this is a party, okay? This is what it says. I'm just gonna read it. This is John speaking. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. And that's imagery, right? He's talking about Satan and what Satan has done to pollute the earth. A second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants and the ones who fear him, both small and great. And this is the part that I love. Then I heard something like a voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteousness acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. It's so funny as we worship today, that first set, right? I think that's what heaven's gonna look like. In that marriage supper of the Lamb as the bride of Christ, the, the believers see Jesus and all of history is commencing and we, we see Jesus, we sing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as... Yeah. The marriage supper of the Lamb. All hail King Jesus. It's a feast. It's a celebration. Jesus is calling the elder brother, God the Father is calling the elder brother to put down his self-righteousness, to put down his pride, and to enter into the feast. 
father is calling the younger brother, come home. But it's only because of the true work of the elder brother do we get to even have these opportunities. At the end of history, the whole earth will become the Garden of Eden again. Revelations 21 and 22 says that God will make everything new, that it will be all made right, that it will all be placed back to its initial purpose, that creation will be restored. Death and decay and suffering are gone. The nations will no longer be at war, and King Jesus will reign on the throne. See, but some people think, oh man, we're gonna be spirits floating around, right? It's gonna be ethereal. No, 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 no. This is gonna be real. There's gonna be feasting. There's gonna be joy and singing, right? There's gonna be celebration. There's gonna be a long, uh, that longing that we've had for so long to be home is gonna be made fulfilled in the presence of Jesus. As a church, God gave us a specific command. He gave us an ordinance, an instruction, right? Something to look forward to, to remember and to look forward to. And that's why every week we celebrate communion where the body of believers, of apprentices of Jesus has come together and say, man, we're gonna remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We're gonna remember the work of the true elder brother, but we're also gonna look forward to what that work accomplishes for us, that one day Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna make all things right, that death, hell, and sin Satan will be defeated and that we will be able to feast and celebrate at the most bomb party that we could ever imagine. Let's go. I love partying. I love food. I love good parties. I don't know if you've ever been to my house. I, I like to cook Hawaiian food. I'll throw, you know, we'll, we'll eat, we'll feast, we'll, we'll have fun. But all of that is nothing into comparison to the marriage supper of the Lamb when we get to feast with Jesus. So communion is that time where we come together and we're gonna take communion together. But as, you, as we take communion, I want you to think about that, that man, wow, the, the, the body of Jesus was broken for me. The, the, the blood that he shed for me was so that I could come home, so that I can partake in the feast, that he did these things because he loves me. And then the reverse side of that is, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. Have you ever been that kid? Right, my son, actually it's funny. My son yesterday, we had a Friendsgiving to go to the whole week. Man, dad, I can't wait. <laughs> Ham, pumpkin pie, dad, I can't wait. Right, you know that, that, that child, that childlike anticipation, right? That's what we should have as apprentices of Jesus. That childlike anticipation. Whenever, when he returns, everything will be made right. We will feast with God. Because of the work of the other brother, we can find home, we can rest, and we can feast in the Father's house. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that before you even created us that you had this plan in place. God, you're so very thoughtful. Before the creation of the world, foundation of the world, you had already slain the lamb. God, thank you for pursuing us. God, I pray that if we are have the tendencies of the younger brother, 
that we would put those to the side, that we would stop our self-centeredness and that we would fall in love with you. God, and if we have tendencies of the older brother, that we put our self-righteousness on the side, God, our pride, and we would love you for you, not just to keep a list of rules, God, or to earn our way to heaven, but seriously just to have you. God, I pray that you would be with us now as we celebrate and partake in communion. God, that we would remember what you've done and we would look forward to the party that's coming. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.